looked at our understanding of faith here in chapter 11 of Hebrews of being the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And transitioning from there, the writer goes into talking about all of these men and women of faith from the Old Testament that are our testimonies to how they received their commendation. They received the assurance within their hearts by faith. I was in Edinburgh Outlets uh, yesterday with Kelly. And uh, I, I, have a, I have a good time shopping with Kelly. As long as I don't have to look for anything for myself. You know. I get overwhelmed by, by that. But... but um, so we were we were at the Edinburgh Outlets and, and and if you've been there, I don't know if you've noticed they have like the most amazing playground uh, there. I didn't get on the playground, but but more than once, I heard kids screaming with glee as they're running towards this playground. It's got like chimes and and big uh, you know rubber mounds that they can like go up and down over and and webbed. Uh, jungle gym house looking things and but they're screaming with glee as they're running toward it. it it's 46 degrees outside with a freezing mist blowing and these kids more than once I hear them running just with 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 great expectations toward this place it's funny how some things are loved by us, no matter what the circumstances are. Like kids running toward that playground. And if only we could look at following God's will that way. To, to, to look at it and think, I don't know where we're going, but all I know is it's going to be awesome. Because I am convinced that this is what God wants. Because I've been told in his word that my God will supply all of your needs in Christ Jesus. And I've been told that at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So I don't need to worry about this pleasure that I've been pursuing. I can give up on it if it's his will. Because in his right hand are pleasures forevermore his right hand when we're in the center of God's will for our lives it is the best place to be ever you know if you were to ask people would you like some bacon wrapped blah 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 they're going to be sitting there thinking you had me at bacon right I remember one of my friends joking as we were grilling one time um, I think uh, the the ladies, it was at a family gathering up in Wisconsin, and one of the ladies were like, um, you know, we're having, I think it was maybe bacon-wrapped jalapenos or something like that. You know, um, how many do you guys want? And uh, my friend just looked at me and he said, man, I would eat a screwdriver wrapped in bacon. Whatever we go through, in order to accomplish God's will, like something wrapped in bacon, it is good. Whatever we go through, 
We usually need to remind ourselves that God's mission for us involves, it involves hopes that are unmet. Because faith is the assurance of our hope. Following his will is going to involve hope that goes unmet at that time. Going where God, the Lord leads, it, it means needing to be resolute about things that are unseen to us at this time. The same was true for Abraham and how he obeyed God in faith, even though it meant hope as a lifestyle. We read in verses 8 through 12 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, Isaac being his son and Jacob being his grandson. Heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were, both, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So from our passage here this morning, I want to challenge you first of all, trust God to lead you well. What I mean by that is when you are following God's lead, trust that he can lead you well. We see right off the bat here that it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Why was it by faith? Well, because, God, because he, Abraham, didn't know the place that God was sending him to. The only reason that doing so makes any sense is because God promised that it would be amazing. And it was God that was promising not just a place, but a relationship. A relationship for him and his descendants to be the special people of God. The Hebrews, the Jews, they weren't even in existence. Abraham is living among the people of, the, of Ur in what we know today as Iraq. It's very possible that he was one of the moon worshippers. Of that period, of that time. In that day, it was no little thing to be away from your country, your kin, your home. We, we can read in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, before his name became Abraham, we won't go into that, but I, I do want... You maybe you maybe you've kind of heard this Abraham guy, and and you're like I don't want to raise my hand and say I don't know really who that is. So part of our purpose in going through this chapter slowly is to help us kind of catch up. Who are these people being talked about? 
And, and um, in two weeks, we'll kind of answer that question. Why is it that both the Jews and Christians and Muslims both claim Abraham as their father? And why is it that the Jews are God's true privileged people to come from Abraham and not Islam? So we'll look at that in two weeks just to, to give you a teaser there. But, but we see here in Genesis 12, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, Lot being his nephew. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, or Haran, whichever. As I mentioned, you know, it is no small thing to be away from your country or your kin or, or, or your home. I mean, think of these millions of refugees that are being forced out of Ukraine. Away from family, away from all that they know, away from their home. Abraham chose to obey God and do this. Not knowing where he was going. Abraham believed that God would do what he said he would do. And his belief was evidenced by the fact that he picked up and went where God said to go. And he did so because he trusted God's word to be true. And he trusted that God's goodness and greatness were more than enough to make it happen. And this was when he was 75 years old. We, we, you can see here on a map Abraham's journey. He follows what's called the Fertile Crescent up from Ur to Babylon up to Haran. And then down into uh, the land of Canaan. And he makes a detour over into Egypt. And finally back up into Canaan. You can read about this in Genesis 12 through uh, 18 or so. But after 1,500 miles of wandering, God tells Abram this in Genesis 13. Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. This land is the inheritance that Abraham was told about. But if you'll notice in verse 8 of, chapter, of Hebrews 11, he was going there to, uh, to the place that he was to receive as an inheritance. But it's not until he actually got there that he was told, this will be your inheritance. He, he didn't know that he was going there to, to receive this land when he left the city of Ur. Abraham's incentive to obey wasn't the inheritance that he'd received the incentive was to be in relationship with God as the father of his privileged people, Israel, who would come from Abraham. The inheritance of land was his reward, if you will, for this obedience. The writer of the Hebrews evokes Abraham's experience 
in encouraging his readers to trust God. Or as the Bible exposition commentary says, faith is able to wait for the fulfillment of God's purposes in God's time. But while we are waiting, we must also be obeying. Abraham obeyed by faith just as the readers that were reading this letter to the Hebrews were to trust God for what they could not see. And despite what they saw with their eyes, they saw the temple sacrifices still going on, even though they were told there is no more sacrifice for sin because Jesus has been sacrificed. They saw the high priest ministering in all his regalia, in all his respect, all his elevation. Even though they were being told, there is now a great high priest in Jesus. And he represents you before the Father. They were to step out in faith away from the Jewish sacrificial system. And to trust Christ alone. Abraham was called to go out. He didn't require convincing. He didn't have travel insurance. He didn't need to see a brochure or sign a contract from God before he went. All this is because of the one making the promise is faithful to his word. He's faithful to his covenants. If you recall, through this letter, the readers are being told, you're living under a new covenant with God, the new covenant in Christ's blood. Knowing Christ is your Savior, that is the covenant that you live under with God, and God is faithful to his covenants. Abraham's faith was most clear in the fact that he obeyed without knowing where the journey was going to take him or what circumstances We are called to live by faith, to obey God no matter the immediate cost. We should act wisely and with understanding that God gives, but the wisdom that we are called to work from is God's wisdom. The understanding that we are called to seek is what God provides us in relationship with Him as we ask Him of it. Let me mention something about this covenant that God made with Abraham. Notice back in Genesis 12, as he promises to to make his descendants into a great nation. And that he would bless him and and make his name great. That he would be a blessing. Notice that he tells him, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Galatians 3.8 tells us this. The scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's us, by faith, meaning we don't have to become Jews first, the scripture preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Galatians 3 verse 8 is telling us here that in making this statement, God was foretelling The fact that through Abraham's descendants, the Jewish people, would come the anointed one that was going to make salvation, the blessing of a relationship with God, available through the descendants of Abraham. And Jesus did that when he came and lived the life that only the God-man could live and died the death 
that only the God-man could die to make salvation possible for all people of all time that would trust in Christ, God's anointed one, as their Savior. I believe that Abraham was saved by the fact that he believed God, that his anointed would come through his promise. All peoples would be made eligible to walk with God in relationship with him. And we do that by simply saying, Lord, I believe that my sins were laid on Christ. And I can't pay for those myself. That's why you sent Jesus. That's why you sacrificed Jesus for me. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, proving that it's possible for me to have a relationship with you by his righteousness rather than by my own. Give me Christ's righteousness. Give me a relationship with you through Christ. That's what it looks like. And then we join. We become, as we'll look at over these weeks, we become heirs with Abraham, heirs of the promise. So Abraham got to the land of Canaan, and he built his dream home, right? Nope. He lived in tents. We'll read in, in verses 9 and 10. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. In other words, he was content to live in these tents because that it was not a physical city that he was looking forward to. God later explains his covenant with Abraham as being unilateral and unconditional and eternal. Part of the reason why I believe that God's nation, Israel, is still has a significant role in God's plan for this earth. You can read about that in Genesis 15 if you'd like. But it was, this, this covenant was guaranteeing that Abraham would have children and countless descendants. But even after God gave children to Abraham, he wandered in the land, the very land that he was promised to have as his land. And it's the same with us. God was committed to fulfilling his promise on his timetable, not ours. It's God's glory and the fulfillment that of his to his covenants that matters to him. More than our comfort. We'll talk in two weeks about how it is that Abraham's faith is the same as ours. He wasn't saved by works, as numerous New Testament passages quote Genesis 15:6. Abraham believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, it was righteousness was credited to Abraham's account. Because Abraham worked really hard for it? No. Because of Abraham's faith. Because he trusted. Because he believed God for what he promised. And that promised, that promise involved God's anointed Savior that was to come. 
But for now, so like I said, we'll talk about that in two weeks. But, but now we need to understand Abraham and it's the original readers needed to hear it. We live under a new covenant with God, as I mentioned, with Jesus as our high priest and based on the sacrifice of Jesus himself. Like us, Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations that are as long-lasting as its designer is eternal. We'll look more at this next week, this, this city that we have to look forward to. But the reality is that as followers of Christ, we should all be looking forward to a permanent homeland in Christ. Abraham lived his obedience by faith. He lived with assurance of what he hoped for and conviction about what he had not yet seen. That's what we've been told faith is. Abraham lived by faith as a foreigner in the land that had been promised to be his. This meant living in tents with his family. It meant moving around as the resources of water and pasture required for them to. It meant explaining to his family again and again why it was that they chose to live as they did. Even though they were surrounded by those who appeared to be more comfortable, more secure, more satisfied. Abraham's mind was connected to his hope. His eyes were fixed on the invisible that he had been promised. And Abraham knew that the promise was bigger than this life. Just as God had promised him is bigger. The God that promised him is bigger than this life as well. A city that is designed and built by God himself can't exist in this weak and transient world. So would we really want him to build it here and settle for that? No, I want something bigger and better that's going to take an eternal uh, a, an eternal state for it to be able to exist in. That city is what I want. That city is what I'm looking forward to. As I mentioned, we, we look to seek to be wise and to work with understanding. That's good. But it's God's wisdom that usually seems foolish to the watching world. It's his understanding that gives us insight into the eternal significance of our decisions. God's understanding tells us that this world is not our home, that we were made for an eternal state in which we'll walk with him again. Like he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. God's wisdom tells us to consider this 70 or 80 years on this earth as fleeting and meant to be invested in eternity. The understanding that God gives tells us to stop chasing the dream life. Because you've got one already that you're just waiting for. It tells us that children are to be taught to be godly. That they're going to be, in doing so, they're going to be far more successful in life than those who know how to navigate this world by its standards and its tools. Our next verses involve Abraham's wife who had a part to play in God's covenant. And with that, I want to challenge us. Trust God 
in your submission. Trust God in your submission. We read, by faith, Abraham herself, uh, Abraham, there you go. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man in him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Just kind of explaining here to trust God in your submission. Every one of us is to be living in submission to others. That is, if we are living by God's desire or God's will. Submission can be understand understood as coming under the mission of someone else. All right? Submission. Coming under the mission of someone else. As a part of God's uh, reiterating his covenant, he used two examples to Abraham. Where, where at one point he, he told him, can you count the number of sands on the seashore? In the same way will your descendants be. And he took him outside at one point and said, look up at the sky and look at all the, the stars. See if you can count them. In the same way, so will be your descendants. We'll talk in two weeks of the significance, as I mentioned, that we are the children of Abraham by faith. And today we look at Sarah's steps of faith. You know, it takes two to tango. And it took Abraham and Sarah to facilitate God's promise. We read in Genesis 18 that it was when Abraham was 99 years old Okay, so he originally was told he would have descendants at age 75. It was in, when he was 99 years old and when Sarah was 88 years old that God visited them and told them that he would fulfill his covenant by the two of them having a child of their own. Did Sarah meet this promise with total faith at that moment? No, she actually laughed to herself about it. And she asked herself, after I am worn out, you know, we're talking post-menopause here, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? That's an interesting statement. And when my Lord is old, come back to that. But we know that she got on board at some point because a baby happened. All right? And Sarah had fully embraced God's mission that came to her through her husband. And I think this can be evidenced by the fact of her calling his name Isaac, which means laughter. Notice what is said in verse 12. By faith, Sarah, you can say, got on board here. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants. I think this point is to the fact that God's promise was also the result of Sarah's participation. We know today that pregnancy beyond age 40 is fraught with complications. Did you know that, that the chance of a pregnant mother dying goes up seven times after age 40? We don't think often about the danger and difficulty of a 
year-old bearing a child. Without getting into the details of things, we, we know that denying Abraham the opportunity to take part in fulfilling God's promise was certainly within Sarah's power. Of course, she did want a child, as she mentions. But why did Sarah go along with God's plan? It's told right there in the verses. She considered him faithful who had promised. She knew that God is faithful to his promises. What he told them to do, he would be faithful to take care of them through it. This has already been the message of the writer of Hebrews to his readers where he writes in Hebrews 10 verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. What is it that the readers of this letter had in common with Sarah? They were called to respond to the gospel by faith, assured of their hope with conviction about what they couldn't see. God's promise was not dependent on Sarah being of childbearing age, but on his faithfulness. Sarah's experience of God's provision wasn't due to her super spirituality, but her faith in him. And as a result, God's promise moved forward toward fulfillment. A man who was, quote, as good as dead, as far as being a father is concerned, became our forefather. Thinking about Genesis 18, when Abraham was 99 years old and God promised Sarah would bear his child rather than it being Ishmael, which we'll we'll get into that in two weeks. Like I mentioned, Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Meaning the pleasure of bearing a child? I believe also in this moment, God touched on... Sarah's most sensitive subject, her childlessness. In that moment, when she could have said to herself, you think this guy, this bag of bones I'm married to, is going to be able to give me a child now that I'm old? Instead, she refers to Abraham as my Lord. This is a cultural sign of respect and submission during those days. And you might be thinking, J.D., you're making too much of this. But Peter writes and talks about Sarah as being a model of biblical submission in her respect, in that moment, touching on her greatest hurt. And Peter writes in 1 Peter 3, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Referring to that very moment. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. I love how Peter acknowledges that Sarah and other submissive wives face what is frightening but don't respond out of that fear. Kelly loves it when I point things out about her, but um, you know, <clears throat> I've experienced this with the Lord moving us from South Carolina to Illinois to Wisconsin to South Dakota to here in Indiana. At any point, Kelly could have said, I'm not going. 
and there we'd be. But we have had such an adventure, and we continue. Uh, this, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get old and die here. That's 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 my plan. I'll just tell you that. But we wouldn't have had those adventures if we hadn't both said, "If it's what the Lord wants, let's do it." We had a missionary share with us once that he needed his wife to be on board with God's calling. He put it this way: "It's not one called and one hauled." And Sarah's faith in going along with God's plan is pointed out here. The truth is that we're all living in submission. We're all living under the mission of someone else. Marriage simply illustrates this more significantly. As we're told in Ephesians 5, verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So, so the husband as a part of the church is to be under the headship of Christ and following his lead. How well are we illustrating this to the world? The fact that biblical marriage is to be a picture of Christ and his bride, the church. How well are we illustrating this to the world? We seek to be a people who are about Jesus and his gospel mission in our daily lives. Husbands, are you placing your life under the mission that God has given you in submission to Christ? Are you seeking Him for what that mission is? Wives, are you placing your mission under the mission that God is giving to you and your husband together? Coming back to the idea here as we close, the idea that God told Abraham that through him, through this promise, all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed. And he told him that his, his descendants were going to be like the stars of the sky, uncountable. I love a line from one of Rich Mullen's songs. Maybe, maybe some of you have been thinking about this. As we have the privilege of being spiritual descendants of Abraham, Rich Mullins wrote, Sometimes I think of Abraham, how one star he saw had been lit for me. He was a stranger in this land, and I am that no less than he. Romans 4 connects Abraham and Sarah's experience to us. As all of us look in faith to God's Savior, Romans 4 states this, In hope he believed against hope, speaking of Abraham, that he should become the father of many nations, as, has, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Now notice what he says here. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead 
Jesus our Lord, who is delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We connect with the faith of Abraham through Jesus, but not through Je- just through Jesus, through Jesus' death and resurrection. And we celebrate his death in communion. We celebrate the fact that Jesus was given to us as our sacrifice, just as much as he now serves us as our high priest. Mike is going to come forward and sing a song for us as we meditate and as the men pass out the communion elements. The fact is that a relationship with God is not earned by our faithfulness. It is counted to us by faith because of God's mercy. The men are going to be handing out the elements, as I said, as Mike plays. And if you need gluten-free, it's back on the table there. So just uh, you can go and grab that. What they're passing out is not gluten-free. You don't want the two mixed. I digress. Thank you.